You made your point, Ford. We both know this isn't where you want me to die. Well, I can't speak for Ford, but I don't give a fuck how you die. As long as I get to watch. Drop it. Duncan and both come correct. My doctor said a, a, a interesting thing, Duncan. He said, you know, there are fat people and there are old pet people, but there aren't a lot of fat old people. Did and, you did you fucking show him a picture of Wilford Brimley and say, what about this guy here? Well, this guy's in his 80s. Suck it, science. He's clearly a thing, Duncan. It's not a person like you and me. <laughs> More a phenomenon, a way of life, I like to <laughs> Yeah, like when he dies, he's just going to like evaporate into golden light like Sir Anthony Hopkins and Thor Ragnarok. He just, he'll decide it's time to transition and then just chimes will play. I, I tend to find that like, like, like just in any circumstance when anyone questions anything about you, you should always play the Brimley Trump card. You know what I mean? Of ju- just, <laughs> just to... uh, like adopt the voice and, and repeat what I've said. Yeah. For... <laughs> Just like the the, Br- the Brimley Trump card, you know, where it's like, like, just infinite. His his points are like infinite racism, infinite red meat intake, um, infinite goddamn it. You're just like oh, you do all these different things, and you just play that back at science, and science has no answer for that. <laughs> no, they do not. It's why I won't let them take me to a lab. Goddamn it! <laughs> I ain't go to a doctor no more. I should think that when Wilford Brimley knows, he, like Wilford Brimley will be like a like a dog, like he'll know when he's about to die. He'll build his own funeral pyre and he'll lay it himself. <laughs> You're probably right, man. That would be awesome. Uh, and it's not just his on-screen persona is the thing. Like he's legitimately a badass guy. Oh yeah, like <laughs> like I saw after speaking, you said something about him being on some show. Recently, yeah, it was on Craig, Craig Kilborn recently. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I found the video, and I just I couldn't understand why he was on that show because he clearly didn't fucking want to be there at all. Just like didn't want to be there, um, and it, it was it was kind of amazing. It's like one of my favorite interviews I've ever seen because this guy's obviously trying. This guy, a questionable Scottish accent, um, uh, was trying to you know like. Like give, try and get all the, all the you know the answers, all the the funny jokes as possible, and Brimley was having fucking none of it. <laughs> yeah, he just he was amazing. a pile of who gives a shit <laughs> sitting in a chair opposite an interviewer. I also got the impression that most of the audience didn't know who he was. Yeah, but it's I kind of fun. I genuinely felt like Craig Ferguson had him on the show because he just loved Wilford Brimley. And it was like, this oh, yeah, is probably definitely. not going to be great television, but I get to watch Wilford Brimley pe- play harmonica here in a second, and that's going to be amazing. <laughs> like, so fuck yeah, everybody uh, else. <laughs> well, well, if you're going to have your own talk show, you might as well book people that you want to have on. So, as opposed to just having people on the show. Right, like Anne Hathaway's coming when her new movie's out. We don't have to worry about that. In the meantime... <laughs> you know, you get the craziest fucking people you can get your hands on. Yeah. Within reason, like, you know, not not criminals. Uh, but maybe, like, cat burglars maybe. would be cool. I would love to see an interview with an honest-to-goodness cat burglar. Yeah. 
Yeah, like one that was just like legit had never been caught. Couldn't tell you quite what the crimes were that he had committed because obviously you get in trouble with that. Uh, but but you know, infers enough information. You're like, that was you. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, and like he looks like David Niven. He's got a black bodysuit on. <laughs> he he uh, leaves, yes. goes off stage. And the, the host of the show gets ready to invite the next person on stage and then realizes his Rolex is missing. Uh-huh. That's right. And there instead there's like a little card. You a know, little, left a little, a little signature card. card left behind by the cat bird. Yeah. yeah, you you have been foiled again by La Fouf. Yes. We oui, La Fouf. If you want to see <laughs> your watch again, I'll be in this Swiss Alps. Ha 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 ha. It says at the bottom. <laughs> oh, dear. Hey everyone, welcome to Duncan and Bo Go to Westworld. You can't kick off with that. <laughs> a, t- <laughs> a tiny little division of Duncan and Bo come correct. Here we are on the seventh episode in season two of Westworld. We are we are hurtling towards a conclusion. Like a train discoupled from another train containing a lot of bomb material. And a technician with a gun and a single bullet. Yes. I don't think he pulled... I don't think he put the bullet in and pulled the trigger, Bo. Why would you? as we all know, humans are cowards. And also, what if you lived? What if it's one of those freak things, like one of them skydivers that falls out of a plane when the chute doesn't open, and they bounce a couple of times and survive. Yeah, but I'm sure he did live, but he looked like fucking Two-Face at the end of it, you know what I mean? That would, I mean, can you imagine how popular you would be at Comic-Con? That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Can you imagine a Comic-Con that existed in the same time frame as Westworld? Oh, it would just be, you know, host fuckbots as far as the eye could see. Yep, or as I like to call it, utopia bull. Utopia. <laughs> Speaking of utopia, Duncan, <laughs> we like. Uh, oh, and uh, I'm Bo Ranstall. This is Duncan McLeish. <laughs> yeah, if you don't know, if you don't know by now, you'll never know. You, <laughs> you always assume there is someone listening to to the show for the first time. Duncan is the the rule of thumb. Fuck uh, that, they're late to the party, Bo. I don't, like, listen, there's, see when you're hosting a party, Bo, right? You, you've got your chips, you've got your dips out, you've got your beer, you've got the, you know, you've got your, your ice, your spirits, your your wine, you've got some funky needles. music. Yeah, you've got your, your, your funky music on. You're, you're, you're the hostess with the mostest, you're doing a little dance, you know, going around making sure everyone's all right. See if that party's four hours in, and then someone who you invited then decides to show up, fuck that person. Fuck them. What if they got stuck at the airport? What if they were flying in just for this party? And they didn't text? They didn't text? They didn't phone to let you know it was, that they were stuck? It was a surprise, Duncan. They just wanted to make you happy for a second. Well, I think this show has taught us one thing, Bo. Nothing makes me happy. So there we go. <laughs> Excellent. Um, <laughs> Duncan, we like to begin the show, as if I'm reminding you... Uh, by talking about a movie, good and bad, that we have seen recently. Mm-hmm. And I have uh, I have been watching movies of late. Have you? I, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's almost all I do. 
But more importantly, <laughs> Duncan, I'm interested to hear what you have been watching so I can judge you. <laughs> I've been watching loads and like, like loads of stuff. Um most of it once again on the, the Netflix side of things. Uh, Netflix content keeps coming at a ridiculous pace. Um, I, I can give an update since the last time we spoke. Uh, I did finish 13 Reasons Why Season 2. And um, yeah, uh, it wasn't as good as Season 1. And it, it was needlessly nihilistic. Um, and it's been greenlit for a Season 3, which I kind of don't want to watch, but my completest brain is going to compel me to fucking watch. Um, yeah, that's a really like. I'm glad that I'm not, a, you know, like a teenager. At this day and age, I mean, I I barely got through it <laughs> without things like smartphones and you know ready access to internet porn. I mean, I yeah, still sure. dial up porn back then, so it took about five minutes to load the fucking picture. You had to um, want it. You had to mean you, it. You, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you could. You could. It wasn't disposable, bro. You know what I mean? You like if you if you clicked on that small, that small thumbnail, you had to you had to know that it was going to take a good two minutes to load up. So you know this was make or break time because a parent could be home or anything. It was it was basically it it was like it's like the porn equivalent of Russian roulette. You know what I mean? Like every click is potential shoot. Um, and other ones are blanks because there's nothing good there at all. Yeah. Although, um, yeah. Uh, so, but to be a kid nowadays, just I, 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 like I, I fear for my daughter honestly. And shows like that do not make me feel any better about other kids. <laughs> just makes me hate them all. Um, so yes, I did finish that. I'm, yeah, I've never and, seen um, any of that show. I don't think you'd like it. I, I genuinely don't think you'd like. I, I think, I think the concept's really interesting. Um, I've never read the book. I know the book was a huge success, etc. Um, the concept was really quite interesting, and I, I like some of what they did in the second season, which kind of undermined a lot of what they did in the first season. I, I, I thought there was interesting ideas, but. I didn't, at certain parts I felt like that's a more interesting story, we should be pursuing that, but it's like, no, no, we need to keep it locked into the small confines of the effect of this, you know, what, what this character did and the impact it had on other people and how adults turned a blind eye and blah, 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 blah. And I started getting frustrating because I thought there was, you know, because obviously the first season is based on the book. The second season is a total spin-off, so it's really writers just doing their own thing now. So like, you can don't feel beholden too much to that original tome now. Feel free to start expanding it out. And I, I kind of felt like there was times they you could feel that writers wanted to do that, and it's almost as if someone slapped them back. You know, it's like a bungee cord attached to them to pull them back. Um, so that kind of frustrating watch, but. Yeah, I, I I don't think you'd like it at all, to be honest with you. And I know other people that have said very much the same. It's an immensely popular show because you know it's it's now got a season three coming from Netflix, so it's it's clearly doing something well. Um, and my wife loved it; she thought it was great. I just I was kind of kind of indifferent towards the second season. I thought the first season was good. Um, 
so yeah, so I, I checked that out. I've watched loads, so I'm just going to rattle through like stuff good and bad and then kind of finish on a broader point on something that I want to talk about, um, which could be interesting because we've kind of already started that conversation yesterday. Um, so in the interim, I checked out Spider-Man Homecoming. Is that the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I enjoyed right, that. So I, I, the I think one I had Michael Keaton's really good in that, yeah. Yeah, so I hadn't seen that movie. It is my intentions to try and catch this Avengers movie before it leaves the cinema in the UK. And to do that, I have a clear path of what movies I need to watch in order to be in a position that I can go and see that. So I need to clean up by watching... Uh, I've still not seen Civil War. Uh, I've seen Spider-Man now. I still need to see Black Panther. Um... I think that's it. I don't think there's anything else that's come out in the interim that I've not seen. There is not so, a yeah. uh, Thor Dark World in that bunch. Those are all th- th- <laughs> those are all good superhero films, and I know that's not your bag, but they're not the worst yes. of them. Yeah, but I want I want to be in a position that when I go into that movie, I feel like I know I'm up to speed with everyone else there. I might not get all the comic book references, but in terms of the cinematic universe, I know everything that's happened. Um so yeah, so I checked that out. I thought it was alright. And love it. Um I thought like, very much like you said, I think Michael Michael Keaton steals the show. I think the wee kid that played Billy Elliot is surprisingly as Billy Elliot he played, wasn't it? Yeah, I think that's right. Billy Elliot, sure. Yeah, and, and so I I thought he was good as Spider Man. It felt like it had a fairly upbeat sort of vibe going yeah, on in it. it's kind of punchy and light. It's not the end of the world. It's just... Which is what I like. Yeah. I, I, I can't stomach the whole end of the world thing every movie. So once again, in a lot of ways, like how I enjoyed Ant-Man, I kind of enjoyed Spider-Man for what it was doing. Um, really, like I say, really enjoyed Michael Keaton. Um, but that's a given. I think he's a great actor anyway. I'll pretty much watch him in anything. So I checked that out. So that was okay. Uh, um, before we hop it, off uh, the Spider-Man... Mm-hmm. Uh, one scene that I, I want to get your take on because it was one of my favorite scenes of the year uh, oh. last year um, was the scene with uh, where they're actually driving to the homecoming dance where there's the mm-hmm. moment where Michael Keaton knows who Peter Parker is. Yeah. Peter Parker knows who he is and the girl between them is oblivious and they're having this whole conversation over her head about like just kind of squaring off a little bit and i just thought it was so brilliantly done like even if that scene had been a different movie with different characters just the construction of that scene and the performances in it i thought were just top notch like no matter what movie you stuck that scene in it was probably going to work Oh yeah, definitely. Once again, once again, I think, and not to take anything away from the kid that plays the kid, he's an adult that plays Spider Man. I think a lot of that works for me because of Michael Keaton. He's of got course, a, yeah, a, a, yeah. A lot of the the kind of facial mannerisms, the delivery of the lines, the kind of shifty eyes, the kind of almost grimace, almost smile that he does, the kind of Batman face. Um, I think really works. I, I I really enjoyed the minute, and I'm I'm very glad. Spoiler alert: they didn't kill him off, because uh, I would like to see that character somewhere down the road. I, I would really like to. I'd like to see him come back because I thought he was you know one of, one of the highlights um, for me overall. 
Uh, there was a, there were a couple of things in it that I thought were jokes played too much. Sure. Um, like the the uh, Captain America video thing. That does it, make it, me it, laugh, I, though. I thought it was funny. It, it was funny, like, the first two times I saw it, and then I was like, all right. And then the end credit sequence, where they're basically making fun of end credit sequences while doing it, I was kind of a... Yeah, eyes yeah. rolling in the head. Sure, I, I have realised I I find it's weird. It is really. Weird. I do find um, Robert Downey Jr. at times to be wholly obnoxious, and I never used to. Um, and there were certain certain scenes with him. Uh, not that he's in in it much. When I was just like this, I know why you're here because you're linking it all in, and you need to be here for that. But you know, just just give me happy as a character, um, and I could have lived with that. You know, what I mean, I, I, I just, I, I don't know. It was starting. I, I, it was starting yeah, to. I get it. I, me a little bit. It it that mellows out quite a bit just because Infinity War is a heavier movie. He's not as yeah. jokey joke all the time, and it it. I agree. I thought it was particularly egregious in Homecoming. Yeah, where it's like, man, just stick to the script this time, RDJ. I love you. <laughs> I, I, I have nothing but love for you. You, 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 you gave us the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm-hmm. Without Robert Downey Jr., we would not be where we are today with those films, for better or worse. And yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it, I'm glad. Like this hasn't been said, of course. Nobody's advertised this, but I, I would put dollars to donuts that the next Avengers movie is the last thing you're ever going to see him in. And I I think that's great. So as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think so as well. I think he's done his, he's done his job. It's went far enough. And I think to be honest, you've, you've done a bit everything you can do with that particular character now. And at at this point it is just kind of treading water. So I'm with that. So yeah, I thought that was okay. So I ticked that one off the list. That one was a, a, a nice tick uh-huh. and uh, move it away. I checked out the Andre the Giant documentary by HBO yeah, that I seen everyone it. was everyone was talking about. Really good. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, obviously, like I'm of an age where I'm coming from the country that I live in, uh, where I remember, like I think the first WrestleMania I saw was like WrestleMania three. Um, so you know, I was I, I, the the kind of Andre the Giant story was kind of winding down by then, um, and to to get a bit of the background of the character and all this, it's a really well done documentary actually. Um, so I thought that was good. So that one once again, that was a nice tick. Uh, I watched a movie called Proud Mary, which I kind of I don't even know how to describe it. I think it's trying to be like a modern sort of black exploitation action crime movie. Um. It's got uh, Danny Glover's in it. I think he's the biggest named actor in it. There's a lot of bit characters that you will have seen in other things before. Um, Avoid that movie. That movie was not good. That movie was predictable, badly written. um, And I just didn't like anyone in it. And I was, about halfway through it, I was, you know, the, the completest in me compels me to finish movies. About halfway through this movie, I was like, I don't know what the purpose of this movie is like at all i genuinely don't know because the whole purpose of the if you watch something like um 
uh, like Foxy Brown or something. Um, you've Pam Greer in that movie, and Pam Greer is your anchor because she's instantly likable. She's kind of tough, Foxy, you know, hard chick, um, and she's you know, kicking ass and taking names, and I'm down with that. And the the, the central Mary character, um, who I want to say was played by one of the female assassins in uh, Smoking Aces, I want to say, I'm not sure. Uh, she's just not a, a great central character at all. Um, I, I really, really didn't like the movie. <laughs> like It finished, and it was one of those ones where I was like, I genuinely know I will never get back the time I've invested in, in this. Um, I watched Game Night, the Jason Bateman... I have heard better than average things about that movie. It is entertaining and funny. It is not a great movie. Um, I, I I like quite a lot of that movie. I think at certain bits it goes off the rails in a way which I was like, up until this point you were doing a lot of things that were kind of cool. There is a character in it um, who's like a neighbour cop who is maybe steals the show from me. I, th- I think he's very, very, very funny, um, even though he's just like a bit character. Michael C. Hall appears <laughs> during this. I was like, why the fuck is Dexter in this? Um, and he was okay for the small amount of time that he was in it. It's okay. It's, it's a, a kind of passable comedy that you could shove on. It's one of those ones that you could shove on. You don't need to be beholden to everything that's happening on the TV. You can go away and make popcorn halfway through it and come back and you won't have missed much. And you can settle down and continue on with the viewing. Um, it was... Yeah, it was a it was a very run of the mill kind of non offensive comedy. So I, I I Jason Bateman's really good in it, but Jason Bateman's pretty much good in everything he's in. So, um, so yeah, it was okay. Uh, which then brings me to my final thing, mm-hmm. uh, which I want to talk about, which is the new Jurassic Park movie, which I saw yesterday in the cinema on its release date in the UK. I don't know if I got the same release date in the States uh, or if it's been out there for a couple of weeks because I know Hereditary is out in the States just now. We don't get that till next week. So I'm unsure. I um, Yeah, I don't know when it releases here. Uh, I, I, we'll say it's probably the same. We'll, say, we'll, we'll just say it's the same. That, that makes me feel good. Uh, so yeah. Um, the movie is Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Um, and we have spoken briefly about this already on here because I had said, you know, that I was kind of interested to check it out at the cinema. Um, and you basically told me you had no fucking interest, which kind of blew my mind because I thought giant fucking creatures, people in peril. That's a bull movie. You know what I mean? Just just as a given, that's you a would, movie. You would the, think, yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. The the man the man that would go and watch, I don't know, like Alligator, a movie about a giant fucking oh, alligator, alligator would probably watch a movie about dinosaurs hunting humans. That you know, that was my that was my entry point. Uh it turns out that you don't have much love for the franchise. Um out with the original. Is that safe and saying? Yeah, I, I really you know, like Yeah, I really enjoy Jurassic Park and everything after that is one shade of bad or another. <laughs> I think Jurassic World was particularly egregious. Like that was the movie where I, like I was 
even up to uh was what was the third one second was lost world third one is not very good at all, but I was okay with it for the most that's part. Sam Neill's back in it, and that's why Dreamy Dreamy Sam Neill. Sure. Well, you know, a heartthrob. Sam Neill. Yeah. Um <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where we're going. You won't I don't know. <laughs> um But Jurassic World was a I felt like a that was the movie that said to me, You don't need to worry about Jurassic Park anymore. You know, like that was, I, I thought Jurassic World was bad enough on enough levels that I, I just checked out of the whole franchise. Like, and I'll, and I'll see this new uh, Jurassic World movie when it makes its way to like HBO or Netflix or wherever it lands. And I'll see it when it's streaming, but I ain't going out of my way for another Jurassic World movie. Uh, that's, that, I kind of, once again, it kind of blows my mind. The, the previous movie I thought was the epitome of a big, dumb action movie with monsters and yeah if you're going into that movie to see something that maybe had the the substance of a jurassic park you were never going to get that i mean i don't think the movie even pitched itself as that and certainly all the movies that came after that first one never really pitched himself in that direction at all there's a formula it follows that formula and you have to keep building on it you have to keep moving forward you're just making identically the same movie over and over again um and i thought in terms of just a big kind of action romp jurassic world kind of ticked the brief for me it had everything i wanted to see in a movie about you know people being at a park where the attractions come and hunt you down it didn't have the kind of moral backbone of of um you know the original movie but I, I don't think it needs to. I think that movie already exists. So, you know, let's not just remake that movie over and over and over again. Let's, let's you know, reboot it. for And a, a sizable amount of time had changed. Audiences are interested in completely different things now. Um, and the movie was hugely successful. It, it did a lot. It did a ridiculous amount of money. It did marvel amount of money. Um, once again, maybe not in the USA. Uh, maybe not in the UK. But in China, uh, you know... Uh, it pretty much, it pretty much not only saved it by greenlit this movie. Yeah, well, and, that's um, because China has real dinosaurs. Everyone knows that. <laughs> yes, yes, they do. Um, and also, the Chinese national anthem is do 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 <laughs> spare, no, uh, a couple of things had me interested from the off on the movie. The first one was the director. So you know who directed the new one, yeah? Uh, I probably do. It's Juan Biona. Uh, so the guy that did the orphanage. Oh, okay. Good for him. Get your Hollywood yeah, so Yeah, so he did the orphanage. Uh, most recently did that movie, which I loved, called The Monster Calls, which I fucking loved that movie. Um, it felt like a Del Toro movie, which wasn't a Del Toro movie. But then again, so did Orphan, and feel like a Del Toro movie, <laughs> right. which Del Toro didn't direct either. Um, and it's, it's a weird one to classify. So if you've seen the trailers, you'll know that the premise of the story is that, um, what's it, Ilsa Nuba, or whatever the name of the... The, the island is uh, ha- was built on an active volcano. Um, this volcano is now about to erupt. 
and it's about to wipe out the remaining dinosaurs. So the conversation that's happening in the American Congress, which made me laugh and smile because well, this is a global issue, but for some reason we'll do Independence Day logic where only America's the, the country debating it. Okay, uh-huh. I, I'll fight Jurassic World. Um, and so they're, they're debating this about, you know, does, you know, man has created it, so man has a responsibility behind it. And also they are technically an endangered species and should not be treated like every other endangered species on the planet and of course we we feel out a little bit jeff goldblum um at, you know at the beginning and jeff goldblum's whole position on it is that this is not like because he doesn't believe in god obviously believes in chaos theory but this is the universe correcting the mistakes of man so like uh, if man is unchecked man will continue to corrupt nature in a way which will ultimately lead to our downfall and our extinction. And this is kind of things being reset in the balance. Um, and he thinks that they should all die on the island. And this is put forward at the start. Uh, or, you know, some wealthy benefactor who they link into the original story um, pays to have the dinosaurs move to a different island and once again if you've seen the trailer you will know that some of these dinosaurs end up being kind of auctioned off to warmongers and fucking basically the one percent um and i'll be honest like the movie is i i don't think it's a great movie i think it like i came out and i my personal opinion is it's a 3.5 out of 5 movie um I think I enjoyed it a bit. I would have given Jurassic World a three out of five. Um, I think this one's a bit better, but there was a couple of elements where I was like, "That, oh y- yes, 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 give me, give me more of this." And there's a twist in the movie. And when I say twist, I don't mean plot wise. I mean in style. Well, this movie becomes basically like an homage to kind of universal kind of gothic horror. Like there's right. shades of like things like Nosferatu and fucking Dracula and Frankenstein and all because the, the, the movie's kind of big end set piece is in this giant mansion and this kind of abomination of a a dinosaur is hunting people and it's in this big giant gothic mansion and I was watching this going this is this is really fucking cool. Like, this is cool. This is cool. This is different. This feels completely different. Um, and I got behind that quite a bit. And once again, I got the, you know, there's the, the insert, uh, a, a kind of a, a child uh, into the movie as well. I think uh, Biona's always been really good at writing those parts. Um, once again, see the aforementioned, you know, Monsters Call and, um, before that, the orphanage. He's really good at writing those parts, uh, very much like Del Toro. You know, children being in danger, the wonder of you know, like all, all the all this. St- I think that's really, really well done in the movie. I think it, it, the movie's plot makes absolutely no fucking sense at all. It's it, almost to the point where, like, if you think about what you're seeing on screen, your head will just harp. Um, but that being said, I've never seen a movie where. We always talk about this, where you kind of want to experience something that you've never seen before in a movie, and then if you, it, it's a double-edged sword that'll either work, and you'd be like, that, "Oh, why is it taking so long for me to see this sort of thing done in a movie?" And I would totally watch more of that. Um, or you know, another side of that, where you're like that, I appreciate the fact that you went for it, 
However, it didn't work. And if that never happens again, I will not lose sleep. And um, I was certainly in the, the kind of first camp with a lot of what they did in the movie. I thought a lot of it was really, really clever. I think they're, they try and insert a bit too much of the, you know, man is evil thing. Um, I already know we're fucking evil. Uh, and they do go a bit kind of, kind of holier than now towards the end about, you know, warlords and all the rest. Funnily enough, none of them were American. It was all uh, Russians and Africans and... No American would hunt no. rare game, Duncan, <laughs> or try to keep it as a pet or something. That's not the American yeah. way. We respect and value all life. <laughs> yeah, I, I, did, I did think that was kind of funny. Uh, I was like, really? Is that what we're doing? I thought the casting was really good for the movie. Uh, Toby Jones makes a, a surprise little appearance. I love Toby Jones. Oh, I'm sure. Much yeah, he's a national he's treasure. Out. He's playing a really slimy, horrible, reprehensible character. He does it really, really well. Is it just um, him from Barbarian Sound Studio somehow makes his way <laughs> to the Jurassic Park universe? <laughs> but one of my favorite things, and like, I, it was one of the like, I don't often like. I was there with my wife. I don't often like nudge my wife and tell her something about what I'm seeing on the screen because chances are it's something that I'll get my friends that watch a lot of movies will get but my wife won't get and then I'll have to whisper it and then try and explain it and then explain and then eventually just give up but the kind of big game hunter in this movie the you know the clever girl that character is played by none other than Ted Levine and I almost shat my oh. pants like I swear to god he's fucking amazing in this movie sure he is he's now I'm he's on board. Fucking, he's fucking amazing, bro. Like, totally to the point where I was just like, like, that is genius cast. Like, can I find a person that cast Ted Levine? Can I shake this man's fucking hand? He's, oh, he's so good. He's just a dick. He's just a horrible, horrible dick. Is she <laughs> that great <laughs> big fat dinosaur? Is <laughs> she a great big fat dinosaur? Precious. <laughs> Velociraptor, um, put the dinosaur <laughs> in the basket. <laughs> Just put the fucking dinosaur in the basket. Uh, um, oh, he's he's brilliant. So, does that? Do I think you're going to love the baby? Okay, no. I, you yeah. know what? You right. you have sold me way more than any trailer could. Yeah, like, all the stuff that's great about the movie is not in the fucking trailer. This is the thing that blew my mind. I was watching it going, Ted Levine's in this movie. Zero time in the trailer. Uh, Toby Jones is in this movie. Zero time in the trailer. There is a scene where kids are being, well, kids and adults are being hunted in a gothic mansion and the shots are shot like Nosferatu with the, you know, like the staircase and the, the shadow crawl on it. And I'm like... Not in the fucking trailer. Not in the, none of that is in the trailer. The trailer makes it out to be a lot dumber than it is. Um, it doesn't really justify a lot of what I think works in the movie. And I, it came to the end where the ending's not great. The ending's got some issues. But there's a lot in it that I thought worked really, really well. And at least, my opinion, at least they took the chance. You know, at least they, at least they swung for the fences with some of it. And you can tell that this director has obviously had his hands tied on certain things because it's a massive fucking billion-dollar franchise now. So there's only so much you can do. But to see that he managed to inject some of his personality into the movie, um, it did, it reminded me, like, I keep wanting to say the 
Del Toro comparison. And it's not because you know they they love each other and they, you know the you know Del Toro has basically sponsored his work um, since he started. But there's a lot of that, and when Del Toro tackles you know a a big. I don't think of things like Hellboy um, or Blade. Like Del Toro inputs enough in there, but you know his hands are tied at certain points, and he has to toe the line on certain things. Um, and I felt the same way with this one. So yeah, I think if you get a chance to see it before the year is out, I would love to have a twenty-minute conversation with you somewhere, whether that exists on podcast under the stairs or whether it exists here. I would love to have that conversation because there's a couple of things in it that I think you will like. And overall, you're not going to love the movie, but I think there's a couple of things that are worth discussion of it anyway. So yeah, that's right. me. What about, what about yourself, Bo? What have you been checking out? Uh, Duncan, I've been watching, uh, you know, the the movies, the motion pictures. and I've heard of them, yeah. Uh, they're pretty good. <laughs> so uh, here's one that's not, though. I finally oh. caught up to Insidious The Last Key. Oh, man, how shite is that movie? It's real, real bad. Did, did you see the bit I was on about? We're basically, like, this is a spoiler, sorry, but we have already kind of talked about this. Um, you see the exact bit where I'm talking about where I'm at that? Lynchy has just found out that her father is, like, the worst serial killer in fucking American history, and no one seems bothered by it least of all her it's like now we have closure it's like no <laughs> no you don't the the souls of like the souls of 30 dead girls are in that house screaming for their, their freedom and your father caused it all and she's just like yes right on to the next case and i'm like what yeah where are the news vans like <laughs> the people <laughs> hounding her for comments like oh my god you discovered your father's kills in a bunch of fucking suitcases how does that make you right (laughs) because they're disposable duncan and it yeah that part of it is uh frustratingly dumb yeah i mean it wasn't a good movie up to that point but when they dropped that bit like when they teased that bit at first i was like oh this is going this is going dark, you know. I mean, this is going really dark, and and I was trying to work out what the timeline was because I knew it obviously it's set before the first one, and I was like that. So there must be a sizable amount of time between the end of this movie and the first Insidious movie. And they're like, nope, nope, happens right before. Like, so literally, she leaves that house and goes to the next house, and I was like, that makes no fucking no sense. Yeah, it, it it's it's real bad. Also, another thing that I found distracting in the film mm-hmm. was the fact that. Whichever one isn't Specs, the taller dude. Uh-huh. The fact that he kept trying to uh, hump the leg of yeah, a, Neil, le- a teenager. Not only yeah. is she a teenager, it's her niece. Yeah. And at no point is Elise like, hey, buddy, you want to put it back in your pants for a second? <laughs> She's 17 in my blood. How about you knock it off for a minute? And And the movie even makes out like, oh, maybe at the end of the movie they've got a little thing. And it's like, what are you doing in this movie? Yeah, like, maybe maybe they've got a little thing which will never be referenced from this point onwards, so what is the fucking point? Right, just just to be kind of gross, like, aren't you about 45? Like, (laughs) it was just one of those things that every time, and and it happens numerous times throughout the film, where he just gets up on her. 
And every time it was like, why are we stopping the scene for this? This is gross. It's yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I don't understand it. I don't know. And I was listening to a, a certain new episode of Devour the podcast that dropped uh, in the interim. And I'm fairly sure that Jamie said that this is the most profitable one in the franchise. She and that blew my that, yeah. fucking mind. That blew my mind because this is the worst one of the franchise by a country mile. I don't know about a country mile. I mean, I agree Ooh, with you. Co- I thought the third <laughs> one was garbage. The third one just has, like, once again, the third one has no stakes. Like, the fourth one has no stakes because all those characters exist in the first movie. So any attempt to put their life in jeopardy means fucking nothing because I know they exist. You're like that, that's the problem with doing a prequel. If you're gonna do a prequel, um, don't try and set up peril amongst characters I know survive, because you know I can't I can't feel trepidatious about a character's you know predicament if I know that they are going to be fine at the end of the movie, one hundred percent guaranteed. You know that that's the the third one. I thought the third one was an interesting ghost story. It just had no purchase because of that. I thought the second one, I still will put my hand, the second one's the best at the whole fucking lot because it knows exactly what it is. It's like that. This is a big campy, like, theatre-staged fucking ghost story. Let's roll with it. Um, and all the other ones have tried to be horror movies and they're just not very good at it. Out with that first half of that first movie where it's like, this is genuinely creepy as fuck and uh, all yeah. the rest and then they're like that. Let's go to the further. And I'm like, let's not go to the further. Let's stay in the creepy house with the creepy things. Yeah. Oh, the further. Look at this man's funny pants. Ooh. It is a silly place. <laughs> oh, I'm glad that I'm glad that it wasn't just me. But I know like, we, we should put a caveat here for Bo. You are, it's safe to say you're not a fan of James Wan. No. I, I not as a rule. I, I like I think everyone I, I think he's capable of a great movie. I've just never seen it. Yeah. I mean I I think and it's it's based on obviously his character. I think this one was directed by was this Lee Winnell again? I no, don't this wasn't. I don't think he directed, no, it but the, I think he wrote it. it. The, yeah, he's wrote all of them though, I think. Um and he's the guy that plays specs and the fucking thing um no it was I, it was it was directed by i think it, it was was it not directed by the person that did um uh the taking of deborah logan i think i want to say oh that's a shame yeah i think that's the movie they gave he or she after that movie was like you, you know how they do that they're, they're doing it with like almost everyone now like that you've had that really successful indie horror hit here have a shot at one of these franchise movies yeah, that's um, uh, a bummer. And yeah, so yeah, it was yeah profitable. I'm sure he'll get more work, but oh, but yeah, regardless if the movie's good or not, it's the highest grossing one in the entire series. So yeah, that guy's fine, bro. We don't need to. We will shed no tears for his career on this show. No, no. <laughs> uh, but enough of that. I I don't. You know why? Why curse the darkness when you can light a candle, Duncan? Is my my theory. <laughs> So let me tell you about uh, the movie that I enjoyed most since last we spoke, and it's got a great big fat asterisk right on it. Of uh, this is not a great movie. Oh, uh, here we go. <laughs> it's been a while since we had one of these. <laughs> Gun Woman Mark Two. Let's go for it, Bo. No, 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 no. It's not not <laughs> as egregious as that. I get that. <laughs> 
This one I would have a harder time if you were just like, that movie's a piece of shit. Um, Alien Raiders is the name of the film. I talked a little bit about this on the last Morbid Monday. It is the thing in a supermarket with a much lower budget. Oh, right. And, And so they can't go fucking crazy like the thing does with all the special effects and whatnot. Instead, it's hey, there's uh, a a grocery store over Christmas. It's late in the evening. Some people bust in and say they're robbing the place and they lock the joint down. But it turns out, Duncan, they're not robbing the place. They're on the hunt for an alien. And it's in somebody in this store. At least one somebody. And so they have to deal with the fact that they have taken all these people hostage who don't know what the fuck is going on and are trying to escape and, and, you know, turn the tables on, on their assailants. And, uh, and, and yeah, it's, it, it's not a perfect film by any stretch. Like I said, it's, there's not a ton of money in the, in the film. It looks pretty good. I don't want to undersell it too much. It's well directed, I think. And it's got some pretty good performances. The most um, most notable actor in it is was Michael C. Hall's boyfriend on Six Feet Under. Oh, yeah. The cop. Yeah. So he's kind of the lead. Um, but at any rate, it's, it's kind of fun. It, it's not... It is certainly going for the thing. And it doesn't get anywhere near that. But it does have some kind of interesting characters and it builds up a little mythology along the way. And they kind of explain what, you know, who these people are, what they're doing there, how they know the aliens there, all that stuff. And it does a pretty good job of of handling all that in a way that feels satisfying, if not perfect. And yeah, it's it's a hoot. If you're looking for a movie that... Uh, again, like if you're like me and you wish there had been about four or five sequels to the movie The Thing, but like immediate sequels, not not this new shit. If if like 1984, it was like The Thing Two, uh, you know, hmm. all the gangs all back, they're all fucking The Thing now. Um, <laughs> Brimley's still in the outhouse, <laughs> but. They, that that's not the world we live in. We're not we're not good enough as people to deserve something like that. And and instead, I'll take it where I can get it. And Alien Raiders is a pretty good knockoff. Uh, in some cases, a direct knockoff, and in some cases, it tries to do its own thing. And most of the time, that's interesting. So that Duncan is my <laughs> recommendation to you. I know it's a. It's a oh, bit no, of an sold, outlier. You've, sold, um, you've now sold it to me because there's two things that sold it. One, the artwork's bitching. Um, and two, it's 85 minutes long, yeah. so I will watch that movie. Yeah, it, it's pretty quick. Um, there are two or three pretty good showpiece scenes in it. And, uh, and yeah, it, it, I'll tell. I'll warn you ahead of time, the ending is real dopey. But Oh, yeah, I can handle that. That's fine. Uh, but, but otherwise, it is... It's pretty fun. It, it it was another of those movies that like, hey, I'm gonna kick this on in the background, and it turned out that like there was something to see. 
Um, so anyway, Duncan, enough mm-hmm. of this nonsense. It's time enough <laughs> for different nonsense. So much nonsense. So we are going to uh, to take a quick break here, and when we come back, folks, we are going to be talking about uh, les écorches. Who? Écorché. Ooh. Les écorché. <laughs> oh. Ha ha ha. The uh, latest episode. Le Fouf is back. Le Fouf. You may notice your dog is gone, Duncan. Ha ha ha. Fuck, my dog's gone. What? Courtesy de Le Fouf. <laughs> it's just like that. You know what's frustrating? These shows are free for people, bro. And yeah, if we could put a price tag on it, I know we would at least make a dollar. Yeah, the introduction of our newest character, Lafouf. <laughs> Get the shirts while they're hot. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back to talk about this thing. My life fades, the vision dims, all that remains are memories. I remember a time of chaos, ruined dreams, wasted land, but most of all, I remember the podcasts, the man we called Witch. To understand who he was, you have to go back to another time. A time when the doomsday clock ticked ever closer to Armageddon. You can still find The Witch versus the Doomsday Clock podcast by searching for WYCH on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and on your Android device. Memories may decline, but movies live forever. Welcome back, everyone. Tonight's episode, episode seven of season two, lest we forget, is called Les Ecoches. Les Ecoches. Do, do we have a translation on that, Bo? Uh, I think that is uh, The Fire. Nice. Right. Yeah. I, uh, I didn't actually look Just that part him. up. <laughs> uh, I should have. Usually really no, good no, this. it's Usually. the the skinned. I'm sorry, the skinned. Oh, this. Ooh, that's very that. different. Um, yeah, it is uh, directed by Nicole Cassell. Uh, her only episode this season, but interestingly, she is uh, one of the directors on the new Castle Rock Hulu show, and mm. is directing the pilot for Watchmen, the, uh, was it HBO? Is that who's doing that? Yeah, yeah, that's, oh, wow. Right, right. So, she ain't no uh, small change there. And mm. it is written by Jordan Goldberg and Ron Fitzgerald. Uh, Jordan Goldberg, only credit on the season. Ron Fitzgerald is also uh, responsible for, uh, I think, uh, Virtue a Fortuna. 
uh, an earlier episode in the season. He's he's got a credit on. So mm-hmm. yeah. So you know, uh, we're we're not dealing with nobodies here. And but we got to admit, like coming off the the past couple of episodes, holy shit, Duncan. <laughs> yeah, the last two episodes have been. Uh, let's put it this way: if you were, if Westworld were the Rolling Stones, right? Uh-huh. Then they've you know they've just like they've just nailed it. You know what I mean? They've just you know they they've hit out like painted black. You know the. You know, the the they have literally just tore the fucking house down, right? And they have exited the stage and we're all sweaty and out of breath and all the rest, but Bo, we've realized that there is an encore coming, right? There's an encore coming, which means we need to pick ourselves back up and get ready. However, when a band comes out for their encore, if they're doing if they're the stones, you don't come right back out with one of the big classics. You build back into that big classic. And you do that by picking a song which is kind of weighty, gets the crowd back in, gets you starting to pump, kind of get pumped back up. And that's ostensibly what episode seven is here, I think. It's like that, well, you've had like badassery on levels you've not seen in Westworld before. You've loved it. We've loved giving it to you. However, there's a lot of plot that needs to happen here and go through a lot of exposition, essentially, to get us through to, you know, our 10th episode, which really isn't that far away. So let's start. Let's start putting a little bit meat back up the bones here. Let's start clearing some of those questions that we know that you have up uh, with answers which are tantalizing, others which are like, well, um, and let's remember that the previous episode finished with the return of Ford, which had us both giddy. So, yes, this, yeah. this episode, the wild horses of uh, Westworld episodes. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> uh, has uh, again. I want to point out. I know I did this last week, but their like last week on uh, yep. segments are just ridiculously cool. They're almost yes, completely wordless. It's all just images to sort of let you know what's going on. And the only words I think you hear in the introduction this week were the you know hello old friend. Yep. And it was really cool. But anyway, just whoever's cutting these last week ons for Westworld deserves their own award. Anyway, Duncan. I can't disagree with that, boy. I agree. Let's give them an award. Yes, they will get the official Westie the <laughs> award given on this show for best opening credits. A Westie in Scotland is the short form for a West Highland Terrier. Yeah, I used to have one of them. Yeah, a wee Westie. Yeah, that's what we called him, Westie. I had I had a Westie, and its name was Fergus. Actually, ours was named Mac because of you know Scotland. Oh, I get it. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like what you did there. At least you didn't call him something fucking stupid like. Fontaroy or some shit like that, because then we'd be having words bow. No, he was affectionately known as Puddles. Um <laughs> Puddles was my slave name. Um, <laughs> my name is Mac. He uh, quick note about Mac, he met his unfortunate demise by crawling under a fence 
where the uh, Doberman next door was in heat. Oh, fuck. Yeah. He didn't make it out of that. There was also a Great Dane that the people owned. So we're not sure who the actual mauler was. But yeah, it was like the neighbor handing a plastic uh, like garbage bag over the fence. Like, oh, here's no. your dog. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. I know. Let's tip a 40 for Mac. Um <laughs> It's, it's hard out there for a Westie. Yeah. Uh, open on, Duncan, Bernard in the Mesa. And mm. Stubbs wakes him up. Yeah. And he's, uh, he has a picture in his hand. And It's a picture of his family. Yeah. Of Bernard's, uh, you know, fake made-up family. No, no. Were they Albert's family? Is that what we're to presume at some point? They, they were. They were, yeah. That's what, remember, that's what sent him into his spiraling depression. Ah, that's his right. son died. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. It's like, what, what is this life for? How, you know, these hands are built to create, not to see my son die. It's powerful shit. It, yeah, I'm, I'm moved just hearing you recount it. <laughs> <laughs> so... Stubbs tells Bernard, like, hey, Jack, they ain't looking for survivors. We need to get to Teresa's office, who you may remember uh, from the oh-so-sexy The Duke of Burgundy. Oh, P-Gate. Hashtag P-Gate. Never forget. Never forget. P-Gate for life. And... (laughs) Life spell L-Y-F-E. Uh-huh. That's a... Yep. That's a great movie that deserves a, re- a rewatch pretty soon. Anyway. Well, the Jacob Bargain movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah that's a great movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, th- but up in Teresa's office, uh, when she is not <laughs> building contraptions for her s- submissive lesbian lover, <laughs> there's... You, should, you guys should watch Duke of Burgundy. Um, there, there's, uh, he says there's a satcom up there and they can call for help. And then Strand shows up, who is... Yeah, he's not happy. Right. He's and, not happy. And he's like, where Where do you two think you're going? We've got to take a bit of a ride. And immediately, I felt like, oh, Bernard is in trouble. Yeah. Well, yeah, because he... Bernard doesn't know what's happened. Bernard has a blank spot as we've we worked out. We've hypothesized that Bernard was maybe Arnold. You know, maybe he'd been he's like something had happened and he was now Arnold and as a result he was he'd done something to block what had happened in the park in the last two weeks out. But what we've realized really quickly is if anything could be slightly insidious or anything that could be slightly mysterious that kind of starts to get revealed in here. Bernard's been behind it, really, in yes. some way, shape, or form. And we get a flashback, which reveals, you know, that he's been behind it. So at this stage, I was with you. I was like that. Um, I think the, 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 the jig is up. Right. Well, because Strand takes them to the house where Bernard killed Teresa. Yeah, that was like Ford's kind of hidden, hidey home. Right. House with many Ford in it, you know. 
who was just walking about all the time. And he had we we once again hypothesized some stuff about the the particular basement of this property where Ford was building his own hosts. And we'd said that maybe there was an idea potentially that what he was doing was killing people and replacing them, which we can now confirm as of this episode did not happen. That was that was right. a Duncan and Bo theory from season one, which you know was crazy pants. Yeah, season one Duncan and Bo are a bunch of dumb assholes. You need to pay dumb. attention to season two Duncan and Bo. We know what we up. have our shit on point. Uh huh. We are we are there. <laughs> um. And so Strand says, one of you has this encryption key I need. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hale is also in this house. And she says, look, this data that we're trying to retrieve here, it's a turning point in the human species, she says. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Strand is like, well, I got to get this key. So he puts a gun to Stubbs' head. And Bernard ends up stopping him. And it looks like he's going to like just straight up confess or something. And before he gets an opportunity to, this guard with him, uh, with our, our, our you know, uh, Stubbs and, uh, not Stubbs, Strand and Hale, finds this hidden door. Yeah, behind this like collection of what looks like filing cabinets, there's a the door that leads to a corridor. And when they walk down this corridor, there is creepily a series of body bags that stood up upright, kind of clear, um, kind of perspex body bags, um, which they start to open, and uh, a, a kind of very grisly discovery is made. What is what's that discovery, Bo? Yeah, it's uh, a dozen or so Bernards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just standing none around. Of them, and, yeah, none of them kind of fighting for either. There's one, My favorite one is the one that looks like it's had its face fucking crushed with a molder. Yeah. <laughs> there there have been a few models. And uh, and, and much, uh, you know, wear and tear as you go. If memory serves, well, this was the place that I think Ford had told Bernard that, you know, that one of the places that... Because remember, he got him to kill um, the pea woman whose name escapes Teresa. Um, yep, he had got to kill there and then had reset his memory by telling him that they'd done this many times. Or he's had to do this for Bernard many times or replace him many times. I just thought it meant memory-wise, but it looks like that is also meant body-wise as well. So whenever Bernard's got injured or broken or or dead, um, they have in essence replaced him with a new Bernard body, uh, and then downloaded his his program into that. Right, but he's constantly in a state of not knowing he's a host, and mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, so uh, Strand puts a gun to Bernard's head, and we cut to credits. When we come back, Charlotte Hale is virtually waterboarding Bernard to figure like, out what the, where this key is. This is what they say, because he's like he's obviously going through trauma and stuff, and then we cut to, to Stubbs speaking to the technician, and the technician, that's his words, is like, yeah, this is like the, the kind of host equivalent of waterboarding. I'm like, that's not nice. 
I'm not going to make him talk either. They clearly don't know what we know, Bo, which is Bernard doesn't know shit. And Hale basically has him in his, you know, his host mode and says, you know, you know, would you lie to me? And he's like, no. And he's like, well, you know, what happened? And he's like, I, I don't know. And she's like, listen, I know that you were here in the building the same time I was when Abernathy was kidnapped or abducted or taken away. I know we're both in, we're in different parts of the building. I know this because I've checked your like database and it proves that you were in the building. So I need you to fill in the details of what happened there. And then what we can then say is this entire episode is filling in the blanks of that. We've cut away from Bernard a bit to, to tie up some other parts of the story, but the, the vast bulk of what we're going to see in this episode is the after effect leading up to the, the liberation of Abernathy. So basically everything from the point that the train carriage crashes in to the Mesa to the point that Abernathy is removed from the building. So it's, essentially it's the bit that we've been really excited for because this is the like Dolores and crew. Dolores et al. appearing at the Mesa, badassed up to fuck uh, and ready, ready to throw down uh, against um, some Delos uh, heavies. And I will say it does not disappoint at all, this fucking episode. Just when, when I thought the action was at peak levels in Shogun World, um, I remember that sometimes gunfights are awesome. <laughs> so we kind of come back to this, and I was like, yeah, this is bitching. So, yeah, so that, that kind of covers it. We're going to follow Bernard, try to live through the memories of what had happened in this time period. And if you remember, Bo, where we left Bernard, he was um, in the Matrix. Right. Um, he he jacked himself in, uh, not like this, and um, he just uh, revealed that Ford was still alive and playing piano. Hello, friend. Coming here with your cheap shoes. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Always, always goes back to science. Always. Always on this always. show. And so, yeah, they're trying to get answers out of him to to figure out where this encryption key is. And then we cut back in time when when the train strikes, as you said, and we see Laughlin, our new pal Laughlin, oh, who's yeah. irritated with everything all the time. <laughs> he very, he's, he's Irish, but he should be Scottish. So. He, you know, kissing cousins. And he puts... <laughs> Uh, Stubbs on Abernathy detail. He's like, you know, you get you get to Stubbs. You make sure nobody or not. You get to Abernathy. Make sure no one takes him, and he's going to deal with the lower levels, which is where Hale has ordered a bunch of guards because you know lower levels. I presume would be exactly where the train comes in. Yes, yes, very much. Well, you assume that this whole mountain is a mesa, so. And yeah, this is the like, the lower level. Um, we get some really cool stuff here because we finally get to see some future tech, some future soldier tech. So like we've seen some of the guns; the guns are pretty cool. But what I love here is they all get this these kind of body suits, which appear to be made up of different sensors. Kind of think laser tag, laser tag sensors. Sort of, yeah, yeah. These sensors are run along the side of their body, and basically what they'll do is they'll detect the angle at which a host is at. Um, and we'll, you know, give them. I, I want to say it's a shock they get or something, but it looks like they they visibly get like some sort of sensation on that side as it lights up red, 
And as a result of that, the kind of first unit of the heavies do really, really well against the hosts and that they pick them off really fucking quick because they know exactly where they're going to be before they turn around the corner. So and this episode starts with the humans very much one up over hosts. Yep. Uh, team two is who first runs into the pile of nude bodies laying around <laughs> and and they're like hey uh do you guys recognize these dudes <laughs> i know that ass anywhere yeah i, I mean uh, no no i don't i don't at all yeah but somebody's like hey isn't that the response team we sent down here and they're like holy yeah. shit and then it the host come out of everywhere and they've stolen a lot of that equipment so now they have the same kind of military gear and weapons and just toast these dudes yeah yeah it's it's, it's the it's the reverse of what we just saw in the previous scene um and it's worth saying kind of awkward seeing teddy dressed up in kind of this police state uniform it's kind of weird i don't know if i like it um but uh, Teddy really shines in this episode. Oh, uh, yeah. Stone Cold Teddy really takes it to a new level. He is he is Stone Cold. There is no doubt about that. <laughs> so we cut from Team Two getting murdered to Hale inside. You know, one of the the operating rooms, for lack of a better term, where they've got Abernathy. You know, drilled down to the table uh yeah. we saw him getting nail gunned down um the last episode and hale is like we've got to get this control unit out of here and if that means we have to cut this motherfucker's head off then that's what we're gonna do and things are looking dire like they understand now that the tides are starting to turn and everything takes on a much more panicked air at this point yeah and Stubbs is the one who works out that the hosts are headed for the cradle. And inside, Elsie watches Bernard go on his, you know, spirit journey to <laughs> Westworld. And we have this big scene with Ford and Bernard just sort of chit-chatting. Yeah, we get, once again, a bit more info dump here. So Ford explains, essentially, that um, he obviously knew he was going to die uh, ahead of... We, we get a couple of bits of information that are important. The first bit was that he definitely knew he was going to die, which we had already suspected. The second thing was he didn't actually command Dolores to do it, which I think we guessed he had, but he just given her the free will to act upon something, knowing that given her the free will, she would kill him. So he'd already anticipated that. The memory core thing that we've been seeing in flashbacks um, of or Bernard picking up something from that hidden room that we knew nothing about in Sector 22 and um, and taking it somewhere was, um, in essence, Ford's memories, uh, which had been st- installed into the, into the cradle. And not only that, though, this is the... This was Ford's kind of backup using the Delos project. So Ford was fully aware that of Delos's plan, even though 
we expected we might not know exactly the full extent of it. Um, and also seems to be fully aware of what was happening with Papadelos um, and that he knew that you could download the, you know, the memory of a person, put it into a computer, but the extraction just doesn't work. The tech's not there. They're not ready for it. It'll last a couple of days and then it starts to degrade. So as a result, Ford is pretty much resigned himself to the fact that he's going to be in this computer system forever, kind of. Yeah, until they um, can figure it out, I guess, but... Well, yeah, this is what... This was, but he doesn't seem to be bothered by it, if you know what I mean. He seemed to be kind of like, you know, if this is where I am, that's fine, because I, I'm, I'm still, I still go on. There's a, a sentence where they talk about him cheating life, um, and that's where all that stuff comes out. You know, he's like, you cheated death. This uh, is Bernard saying that to Ford and Ford's like well I haven't really there's no way to get me out because it's just not ready yet so this is where I am and this is what I'll do and let's go for a walk and talk some more but we, we, we a couple of things cleared up so like I say we know for a fact now that you know what their Ford was behind all this code um Ford has set up a game of some description, but the game seems to be less fixed than I thought it was going to be. Um, his ultimate mission seems to be to to give all the the hosts like free will to do whatever they want, and he is trapped in this in the, in this cradle for what may be eternity, might be less. Who knows? But that's where he is, and um, yeah. So it was it was. I'll say it's great to see Anthony Hopkins back. Um, I forgot, even just in this one episode, and if this is really the only episode we get a sizable amount of Anthony Hopkins in, he is great. Seeing him and Bernard, like, in the same screen, like, having conversations which felt not too dissimilar from previous conversations in season one was kind of awesome. It was a nice little nod. But then you're surrounded by nice nods to season one because the setting that this memory takes place within the cradle is in the you know the tavern or saloon or whatever you want to call it in Westworld, and all our characters, all our host characters, are there as well as their original kind of selves. So Maeve is walking around as you very much as the the kind of mistress hostess sort of woman. Um, was it Clementine? Clementine yep. tries to hit on Bernard, and you know, like oh, so we get that. We get to see Dolores. We get to see Teddy. You know, everyone is just going about their way as if you know. They're, they're, you know, they're programming as we saw them at the beginning of season one. So it was, it was a nice nod back to that, I felt. Yeah, and and Anthony Hopkins has some stuff to chew on here. There's a great line he has where he says, God didn't rest on the seventh day, Bernard. Oh, I love this. Yeah. He reveled in what he had made, knowing it would all be destroyed one day. And it's a nice moment where he's reflect like... To your point, I think I think he understands that there is a potentially terrible outcome for all of this, for the, all the hosts uh, as well. Yeah. And in in fact, at the end of this scene, Bernard says, "Well, what are those hosts going to find in the valley beyond?" And and Ford says, "The pleasure of a story, Bernard, is is discovering the ending yourself." And you're yep. like, uh, go fuck yourself. Just tell me. <laughs> Just answer yeah. the question. How about we try that? <laughs> yeah. How about you suck my balls? Um, it's, 
yeah, it's, it, you know, there's a wink, a wink to not only the story, but there's a wink to the audience as well. As if, you know, I bet you thought you were going to get some sort of answer right now. You're not. Yeah, you for to, sure. There's, there's three episodes left after this, and you just have to wait. It is absolutely a nod from the creators to the audience of like, just chill. We're going to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a nice scene and, and and we get important information. And just to put a fine point on it, Ford does reveal concretely the whole point of the park is one big experiment to copy the guests that they're, yes. they're, they're trying to collect data to create versions of them, not to refine hosts to perfection. It's it's why Ford says that the hosts haven't changed in 30 years. Yeah. So anyway. He also said he also said that he made Bernard smart enough to figure that out. So once again, it kind of it reminds us back here that we're like that, yeah, he's like Bernard's you know, he's been built in Arnold's image, and maybe there's a bit of Arnold in there, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But what what we're getting out of this one is once again a, a, a very distinct distinct reminder at this point that bernard is bernard and not arnold you know that difference between the two the 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 the, the, which is explained in much better detail later on in the episode but you know we're getting that bit of information out as well so once again anthony hopkins here is really just to just to fill out some of the the stuff that's been kind of percolating in the background now for a little while we're going to start smoothing out some of this story three episodes left after this we're we're gonna we're, yeah. It's like you say, you're in safe hands. You just like, just relax. Just sit down, drink your tea, drink your coffee, drink your beer or your water, whatever you've got. Just relax. You know, Westworld going to take care of you. It's okay. Don't worry Calm about down, it. Calm down, everyone. Uncle Anthony is here <laughs> to make everything okay. <laughs> I have oodles of time. Oodles. Come sit line. on my lap. It's a terrible line. I hate that bit. Oh, uh, so. <laughs> We cut from this to Maeve and her daughter being chased uh, by the Ghost Nation. And yes. they take shelter in, you know, this little house, kind of schoolroom sort of thing. Yep. And, Give me shelter, Bill. Uh Oh, I, I like the Stones theme tonight. <laughs> it's just about a moonlight mile till we finish. <laughs> Down the road. Uh, William. <laughs> well, I was going to say we joked about this, yeah. like, literally two episodes ago, where where she had a flashback to the man in black coming in to get. But I think it was the last episode. Where, like, you know, wouldn't it be cool if those characters ever cross paths? Because Maeve now remembers what happened there, and almost as if the Westworld gods were smiling upon us, like, you want it, you got it. So that, that's I'm what we're about to get. Duncan and Bo season two are so smart. We're, we're so we're too smart, bro. Almost as if oh, too uh, smart. Yeah, we're not going to too smart. Can't be too smart. They'll start questioning whether or not we have the inside scoop. We don't want people thinking we're the man. Now you you want to be the man next to the man next to the man. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> William rolls into town, and it, and it is that scene. It's him rolling in, busting into this house. And Maeve having flashbacks to when he did it before, when he killed them both and all that. And Maeve, uh, when he sees her, he's like, well, Ford, this is kind of cheap. You know, like, you're not, <laughs> not even trying. 
Yeah, because she shouldn't be, like, he doesn't know that Maeve is one leveled up to the level that she is, but he also doesn't know that she's on this journey to get her daughter. From his point of view, she should be in, you know, the saloon. That's where she's supposed to be. So the fact that she's here recalling previous memories, etc., he instantly thinks this is a Ford game and not a very good one at that. And um, that's the wrong thing to do around Maeve. I think that's the, the 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 key thing we can take away from this episode, like with all episodes, is you don't want to fuck with Maeve. No. It so it's a real like you know him saying that oh she's just a puppet like the rest of him uh, or rest of the hosts, and then Maeve says I'm nothing like the rest of them and shoots William in the shoulder. Which kind of surprised me. It was like, fuck, she just whipped out a gun and shot him. And then she neos some of Lawrence's cousins into shooting at him too. And William yeah, gets like... tagged like two or three <laughs> times. That's amazing. He gets shot in both arms and shot in the fucking leg. Yeah. And he is like, he ends up. Uh, like falling behind this this kind of wagon and he keeps saying like Ford knock it off this isn't the way the game's supposed to end or whatever and Maeve says I don't know about Ford but I don't give a fuck about how you die just as long <laughs> as I get to watch that is a <laughs> that's a direct quote yes and the next word in my notes is awesome yeah. it is it is stone cold Maeve <laughs> and I mean, and she is, she is brutal. And so, uh, William ends up knifing down the last of the cousin, uh, cousin fucking badass, also badass. And then Lawrence shows up to pull a gun on Maeve and she can't seem to Jedi mind trick him that, yeah. you know, he, he, you know, he's just like, well, are, are you trying that stuff on me? Like the fucking bug lizard from the prequels uh <laughs> your jedi mind trick doesn't work on me uh <laughs> lawrence says and yeah. <laughs> is this really cool <laughs> let's never talk about those movies again she... <laughs> so instead she asks lawrence to look at him and remember and lawrence starts remembering william killing his wife um, like all the heinous shit William did in all the, his previous incarnations. And then Lawrence turns around and shoots William. Well, I love this because he's like, you know, you come away from all the rest. And he's like, but I saved her this time. That's <laughs> William's line back. You know, yeah. but I saved her this time. And yeah, he shoots him right in the chest and puts him down. And Bo, like a little wave of panic started to come over me when I was like that. And they are they going to... And I, I know they're not going to kill him off at this point, but um, in the back of my head, I'm like, what? What? I didn't expect things to take this turn at episode seven when there's three episodes left. Um, and unfortunately, unfortunately, for for our good buddy Lawrence, um, he does not survive. No, no. Uh, because some of our guards show up and also yep. the war party at the same time. And it's just chaos. 
and the guards yeah. end up mowing down Lawrence. They get a bunch of uh, uh, of the War Nation folks, and we see that William is still breathing. And oh, I can't forget Maeve also gets all shot to hell here as well. Yeah, she takes about four bullets um, in places that I would say are life threatening. And we find that the the guards found that because at the end of the previous episode, uh, Lee had used his walkie-talkie to phone in for reinforcements. Um, so they're not interested in anyone in the park here. But Lee, like obviously, wants to take Maeve with him because like there's something about her programming which is a bit different. Um, I kind of think he feels for her a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so the kind of in a weird way i'm not i'm not quite sure what his motivation is all i know is they put her in the vehicle as well and they drive off so mave's mission is ultimately failed because our daughter's been kidnapped by the the indians um and you know she's now in a position of helplessness uh being taken in by delos meanwhile um the the man in black clings on for dear life uh with like five bullet wounds on his body and uh, no Lawrence to help him either. So, yeah, yeah. That's the last we see of the Man in Black in this episode. Yeah, he's in a bad way. And we cut back inside the Mesa where Hale is calling for an extraction unit uh, so she can get the control unit from Abernathy. And that the extraction unit is essentially the thing that sucks the ball out of the host heads. And we cut back inside you know, virtual Westworld where Ford is still musing on creating a world and seeing it end. And he takes Mm -hmm. Bernard to a house that Arnold was building inside Westworld. And he says, you know, it's here I created you, Bernard. (laughs) And then we get a line that gives us the understanding of what happened when we saw the uh, scene earlier in this season where we had Dolores taking control of Bernard and, and saying the thing about like, we're testing you for fidelity. Yeah. Because when this happens, so basically what Ford explains is when Arnold died, Delos hadn't already started looking into this tech to do this stuff. It was nowhere near ready. So this is like right back, like, at the birth of the park. So this is before, once again, if you want to do your Westworld chronology, um, this is before um, William visits the park for the first time. So this is before, you know, he will then convince his father-in-law to put a bigger stake of Delos money into it and then start to convert all that stuff out. So this is right at the beginning. And Arnold dies. So Ford decides to build an Arnold bot um and try and you know because he doesn't have any access to his memories or anything he starts kind of importing into him um the memories that he's gathered but there's only so far that he could take that because he only knew him so well but the person that knew him so much better was dolores which was the scene that we'd seen was all these tests for fidelity um was basically would he answer similar And basically what Ford says is that, you know, that's why you are the unique one, because you are not the, you don't have the anima of Arnold in you. You don't have his, like, his, his, you know, all his 
memories, he's collected all the rest. You are just a slightly different version of him. You're like a copy, but you know, like a unique copy in that it's not there, there are just some elements that are just slightly different, some breathing room for you to create yourself and all this. And, you know, I programmed you in a particular way and Dolores was there just to test you. And eventually you you fooled her. You, you know, you got past her that way. And this is why he says, is that what you mean by we can't be in the same room together? We're bad for each other. And he's like, yeah, but basically Dolores couldn't be fooled. Uh, and you managed to do that. You managed to find a way around her. And that was that was seen as dangerous. Um so yeah, so we get a bit more information. So we now know the origins of of Bernard. Can I go? Yeah, we we kind of know a backstory that we didn't and has been teased at this season. And yeah, it's always nice when Westworld serves you up that oh, and here's the here's the thing you've been wondering about. Mm-hmm. And uh. But the scene ends, Duncan, not with this happy revelation of how Bernard came to be, but with Ford saying something that is eerily like something Dolores has said recently (laughs) to One Stone Cold Teddy, where he says, Bernard would never make it in, in the world that is to come. And he won't survive unless Ford takes his will away. Yeah. And so... Anthony Hopkins does like a, a, a spooky leer and Bernard <laughs> wakes up and we get the sense that that Ford has done something to him if we don't know exactly what that something is just yet. Yeah. Although really when you are Officer Pembrey. <laughs> uh it's a good one. <laughs> uh in the control room, however. The system has completely debugged itself. And so they have control of cameras again and all the security stuff, which shows that, hey, the hosts are right at their doorstep. Yeah, they've been kicking ass and taking names, bro. Yeah, just handling business. And be snatch, bro. Be snatch. That's what the kids use. Oh, sorry. Handling beast. No, I can't do it. And. So, uh, Stubbs actually does find, hidden in Abernathy's code, an encryption key. But before they can start really fucking with that, Teddy and Dolores bust in and take over the situation very quickly. And then Hale tries the move where she's trying to butter up Dolores by like, you know, hey, you're a miracle. What's happened is a miracle. And you don't know what what's in this man's head, your father's head, what that can do for us. And Dolores is like, I know exactly what it is, Dr. Lecter. It's an encryption <laughs> key. I just need to know how to extract it. And Hale says, look, you wouldn't even know what to do with this key if you had it. And, uh, and Dolores says, that's where you're wrong, Dr. Lecter. I know exactly what to do with that key. And so then we cut away from that to a spooky reflection of Ford in the glass. And, but it turns out it's Bernard. It's like, got that kids. And this is one of a couple of of moments in this episode where I'm like, I don't know what we're doing here. Like I just, you don't have to give me the, you know, Ford reflection in the mirror 
Like, I get it. As soon as they said, oh, hey, the system is no longer clogged up, it's like, oh, well, Ford put himself into Bernard. He's, like, hijacking into Bernard's consciousness. Yeah, he's a ghost of the machine. Exactly. He is, you know, taking literally taking away his will and his body. And But he tells Bernard, like, you know, you have to send Elise away, Bernard. And uh, he he finally comes up with a stupid lie where he's like, hey, uh, I know the hosts are going to the Valley Beyond and um, you need to go, like, get something and meet me downstairs. And she's like, okay, Bernard, you'd never hurt me. <laughs> yeah, but it's slightly strange since she came out of that machine, but, you know, we're, we're best friends now. Right. <laughs> Look, hey, we all react differently under pressure, and ooh-wee, this is a pressure cooker, uh, she <laughs> says. And so Laughlin gets word that um, Hale has been taken along with Abernathy, and he's like, "Ah, oh, Jesus, and, you know, <laughs> takes his team. And let's let's get up there, Noi. <laughs> and go bra. Um, he's so Irish. And Clementine greets them as they arrive and just goes full berserker. Yeah, she's she is like she what she is a, a non-stop killing machine. She is you know she, she's two steps away from going Sarakana. Yes, <laughs> she like totally. She is the Terminator in this season. It's kind of amazing because, um, like, she she gets like she her uh, her friend the I, I forget the name of the the woman as well, but she was the Angela. She's the, the... one that yes, Angela gets shot and gets put down. Uh, another couple of the hosts are put down, so the offensive is on. Phil, you know, team two is is kicking ass. And uh, Clementine, you know, uses her gun first, you know, has no bullets left, basically grabs one of the, the guards, starts strangling the fucking life out of him. And then, much to my dismay, uh, Clementine gets gunned down. She does, but not not before using someone as a human shield. That yep. was pretty good. Like, she goes out in, in a blaze of glory, to be sure. Yeah. Oh, and the praise of glory. Oh, she never drew first, but she drew first blood. <laughs> She's no one's son. <laughs> yeah, she she gets um she gets shot a bit. Yeah, uh, but enough to create a distraction to let the other woman get away. I, actually, the other woman is Angela. I I screwed up the name. So Angela is the one who gets away. Yeah. And, but all right, so we'll get back to her in a second because then we go to Dolores and Hale again. And Dolores is just like, I know exactly what you're doing here, Charlotte. And uh, Dolores says that she's going to delete all the data that Delos has been collecting and all the backups. And Hale says, well, if you do that, you lose all your leverage. That means you're essentially mortal. Like you, your consciousness can never be restored, and uh, and she says, "They're not our leverage; they're our chains, Doctor Lecter." (laughs) 
it's been a good night for Dolores. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so now listen, we listen here, Harold. You will you you get to go to Plum Island. You will get to walk on the beach, <laughs> supervised, of course. <laughs> Very clever. Um, they'll never ever let me out of here again. Sorry. Um, we really just do need to get that live read out of our system. Just do the whole we need movie. To, like, that, that's the next commentary. Has to be. Or one of the next commentaries. We just need to get the movie out our fucking system so we can move on more. Yeah, we are We are so obsessed with Silence of the Lambs. It's really <laughs> it's disturbing. Frightening. Yeah. It's frightening. So we leave them to go catch up with Angela. And this is the scene where I was like, uh, really? All right, because here's what happens, Duncan, is yep. she she is, goes into a room that has, like, uh, an, one of them extractor devices in it, and then the guy who is second in command of Delta Squad or whatever, Laughlin's right-hand man, shows up, and instead of just shooting her and getting on with things, she's like, hey, you know, I was built to be sexy. And he's like, you really are sexy. And it's like, are you trying to get it wet in the middle of a battle, sir? Like, you need to take yeah. your job slightly more seriously. Like, like I, I like the, I like having this moment with Angela, and I like the outcome of the scene. Yeah, which is her, you know, pulling a pin on a, his grenade or whatever, and blowing them both the fuck up. But, but it just goes on too long. Like, it, there shouldn't. This character, if if Laughlin is such a no-nonsense, no-bullshit kind of leader, how would he ever allow his right-hand man to just be a grade-A horndog to the point that he's yeah. willing to call a truce with the enemy if they happen to be sexy enough? Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's not a justification. I'm kind of with you. It's not a justification, but she, she was the one that got... Um, Oh, uh, what's his face? Uh, Logan. Logan Delos's attention the first time. She was the original sort of welcome to the park women and all the rest. And she, when she says she's deliberately designed to be seductive and sexy and all the rest, I think that's what's supposed to be the the effect is that she just has that effect on men. She's like a siren almost that like men are just suckered into her straight away. You are 100% right. They play it she circles around them about four times before she pulls the pin. We could have done that once and pulled the pin. Um, it goes on a little bit too long. I mean, to me, it's maybe the first slight step they've done wrong in about, well, about four or five episodes. So I can live with it. But yeah, it did feel a bit on the sloppy side compared to the high standards we have had pretty much now for the last three episodes of Westworld. It's one unfortunate beat in an otherwise really fun episode, so I don't want to harp on it too much, but it was one of those things I noticed where it's like, eh, this feels like a little bit of a down note uh, compared to what what happened before and certainly what comes after, because what comes after is <laughs> Dolores taking a bone saw to Charlotte Hale's skull. <laughs> she doesn't it's pierce it. Like an eye for an eye. Because <laughs> like, basically, Hale decides that she's going to, once again, try one more chance to to take the kind of high ground. And she says, if you want the idea, you're going to have to fucking cut out your dad's, you know, out your dad's skull. And then she basically, 
our, our dad starts to speak to her a little bit and then she's like, well, an eye for an eye, lifts up the bone saw and starts to go for Hale's head. And Hale is terrified. This is the... the like, sure. She, like, I, the t- but I think the realisation's finally there that she can't just talk herself out of this. Um, she has no leverage. She has nothing Nothing she can offer Dolores. Nothing will work. Because um, Dolores basically says, you know, you, you built us in your image. You made us to be just like you, but we're better than you. And now you're wanting to be us. Um, and I, I think that's a great line. But then we start hearing some gunfire. Um, so Teddy gets sent, and this is like we we've been talking about how how intimidating Teddy was in the last episode since he was reprogrammed. Everything we said about him before is is like pennies in an ocean compared to the scene that's about to come up when Teddy just becomes fucking. Robocop. He literally dismantles an entire unit and then gets into a fight, full on fight with um what's his face? Laughlin. Uh, Laughlin. And the two of them start throwing down and the guns get flung away and then it's fist fights and thrown over and then eventually uh, Laughlin gets the upper hand, has the gun, points at a Teddy, he's gonna get rid of Teddy, and then Teddy swings the body round, um, gets rid of the gun, and then punches him. A couple of times in the face, and then a couple of times more, <laughs> and then a few times four, and like we start to get once again, every now and again, like see the raw power of them lifting. You're reminded, like you get reminded, their hosts. They do something with the speed where they slightly increase the speed on this one, so it is like a machine just punching fuck out this guy's face. And we see the first, we see the impact about the first three punches, and we can start to see his face start to cave in. And then the camera never revisits his face, and we don't need to because I don't think there's one left, Bo. Yeah, if you ever put your hand in a puddle of goo that used to be your <laughs> best friend's face, uh, this is an example of that. This is the puddle of goo that used to be his face, um, brought to life by Westworld. Thank you, Westworld. And thank you, thank you. Um, <laughs> and so Dolores got distracted from Stubbs and Hale because her father becomes coherent long enough for her to be like, Daddy, I gotta take this thing out of your head. And he's like, I know, darling, I know you do. Just make it quick. I'm suffering, Angel. She's like, All right, Daddy, you, you're gonna stop screaming soon, Daddy. And <laughs> I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> <laughs> Have stop screaming. <laughs> so so loud, Doctor Love. Anyway, um, so but but the, in addition, like she does end up offing her dad and and getting the thing out of his head. And Stubbs and Hale use this moment to escape, where they get in an elevator. This is during, like, the Laughlin and Teddy fight. Yeah. And then we cut downstairs to uh, the garage, a.k.a. the car hold, where Bernard... (laughs) uh, Where Lee, Maeve, and, and, like, that crew shows up just in time to see, like, the control room itself getting breached. Like, alarms are going off all over the place. And... Speaking of the control room, we cut into there where Bernard just looks on as hosts are killing technicians and guards left and right. 
this is all sort of voiced overed voice overed by Ford talking to Bernard about the burning of the great pyramids of Egypt or the uh, great library in Alexandria, not the yeah. great pyramids. That's stupid. Duncan, the great, they're still liberal. Yeah. They're right. You can go to them right now, Duncan. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that, yeah, that, he basically says it destroys the first 10,000 years of stories, but it didn't destroy the like stories altogether because the first story that was told after the burning of the library was the story of how the library burned. Right. And it, it's kind of a, a, a neat little scene, but it results in um, Bernard shutting the system down completely. He's, he's now, he's, the, the shackles have been unleashed. Uh, let my people go. Um, yeah, he's, he's, uh, he, he, he's really done it this time, Bo. <laughs> he's really stepped in it now. <laughs> but yeah so slow a slow sarcastic clap for bernard well done bernard well done uh-huh thanks obama <laughs> um so we we cut back down to the garage where lee is uh on the run when Dolores and her crew roll back into the into the garage, and we have the, I guess only the second meeting in the, in the season of yeah, but it's, Dolores and Maeve. It's, yeah, it's a poignant one though. I like I like it because they, they basically cross paths earlier on. When they cross paths earlier on, Dolores had her mission, which didn't involve getting her dad. Her mission was to go to the the place that they're all going, uh, and Maeve was going to go and get her daughter. And now this is them crossing paths. And completely not the place that either one of them should be at. Um, you know, crossing their paths again. And Dolores is just like, how did you end up here? Um, and, you know, Maeve obviously is desperate to, to get her daughter, you know, and all the rest. And she says, you know, about her daughter. And I love this because this is such a such a Dolores thing to say, uh, which is basically like um, your, your, like your progeny is... Is the you know the the chains or the 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 leads that they hold you by you know basically saying to her she's not your daughter the the story that they put in your head is what is is what they use to hold over you to make sure that you don't rebel and you don't move and you don't do this is this is their their level of control here and Maeve's like well you know kind of had this conversation already but I'm not interested and Dolores and a weird sign of compassion at first basically says you know um you know you're dying uh i you know if they get their hands on you they, they, you know they're, they're going to get some information which you can use like against us and all the rest it's in not only my interest but it's in your best interest for me to put you down now she gets a gun out and maybe like that you know but i i promised my daughter i'd get back to her and this seems to ring true probably because she just had to fucking slice her dad's head open sure with, yeah. with dolores and she's like right fine have it your way uh she puts the gun away and there's a great conversation about this kind of the free will to do things and you know Maeve basically says you know like because she sees teddy walking around clearly fucking roided up to the max Don't <laughs> Teddy. There. how much your you bitch <laughs> like literally blood blood and skull matter dripping off his fucking knuckles. Um 
you know, and, and she's like, nah, you know, you know, is that what you did to, you know, to to pull the leash to make him do what he is doing for you? And Dolores doesn't quite like that at all, really. Um, she doesn't like being pointed out she's wrong, but she's, she's typical woman, huh? Can I get an amen, anyone? I'll, I'll insert anyone? the cricket sound effect there. But yeah, so so Dolores like rocks out with her posse um, and leaves Maeve, who is severely fucked up and at death's door on a table. But though, but as the camera pans around, Lee is still in the warehouse. Yeah, so I mean, we'll get to our our uh, theories about what comes next, but. Um... One other note, and and you touched on this when you know Dolores says the thing about you know the kin they gave us was just another chain, Doctor Lecter. That Maeve Maeve's response to that is you're lost in the dark. Yeah, you know, like you it, again. I like Maeve's play here of the trick is to be the game, but not of the game, Dolores. Um, but anyway, so the conversation they have at the end about you're free to choose your own path, even if it's death, is another echo, too, of the same thing Maeve said back in Shogun World when she wouldn't help Musashi. Yeah. That, that everyone is free to choose that. And it's the first time Dolores seems to have done the thing that Maeve would do. Yes. And it's it's interesting. I'm I'm curious what it means for these characters that... I don't know if that is a permanent turn in Dolores or if it's just a moment of compassion, but uh, it's interesting. It was a, a really cool scene, even as, you know, poor Maeve is laying there bleeding out. But um, so, all right, we get back to Bernard, who is wandering through the Mesa sans Elsie now. Yep. And he gets waylaid by a couple of soldiers for walking while black. Am I right? And amen, uh, brother. That's right. <laughs> Fight the power. Right. And but they're kind of giving him a hassle, and Ford is like, kill him, Bernard. Seriously. <laughs> Go on, Bernard. You need to kill them. There's a gun right over there. You can always, you can always say it was me. <laughs> Tell them I made you do it, Bernard. It'll feel good. Have you ever had an erection while you saw a man's hot blood come out of his chest? It's beautiful, Bernard. You have seen it, by the way. We just wiped it. Yeah, which is right. And but and that's exactly what Bernard does. He he picks up the gun and he straight up murders the guards. Very very poignant though, because right at the beginning, right, remember this episode number two. We started off with Dolores um, speaking. Was it was it episode one? Episode one or two in this season. It was episode one. Sorry, um, we had Dolores and Bernard sitting down speaking together, and at the end of that scene. Bernard got like a series of very, very quick flashes and one of them had him holding a machine gun shooting and I hypothesized that maybe Bernard had mowed down Teddy and crew and that's why all the bodies were in the lake. So it turns out that was wrong um, and we've now seen that scene. So that scene happened then. Yes. Although it is still confusing because the scene of Dolores and Bernard talking where we got that flashback scene still does not make sense chronologically speaking unless that is set in the future we shall see sir i have no idea <laughs> I, don't, I don't have an answer on that one 
<laughs> I think you're a bit go, what? Huh? <laughs> but yeah, so that must like at the moment my, my theory is that that's still set after the events of everything we're seeing just now. Um like in the entire season thus far, it must be set in the future. But this flashback was to this particular moment, which is kind of cool that we've now got that. Yes. Uh, putting pieces together, that's what the end of this season is about. And mm-hmm. so Hale, uh, at the end of this episode, we, we kind of end with uh, Hale waking Bernard up and says uh, that he can't separate his real memories from the ones that he's been given. And there's a text anybody who says, it's like Bernard is debugging his own head. And then Hale asks him about the control unit. And Bernard says, the control unit is in Sector 16. Want to go to Sector 16? Well, that's... Sector... Sector 22 was bad. Oh, I know. Like, yeah, yeah. It's the, you know... Ritz Carlton compared to Sector 16, that is an absolute shithole. Yep. And so Strand says, We're going for a ride back to the valley beyond. Mm-hmm. And there endeth the episode, Duncan. What what outstanding questions do we have before us, do you think? But I think there's still quite a lot. I think it, ultimately, it's, I, I mean, at this stage now, are we led to believe that the location that the man in black is going and the location that Dolores is going, I still think that they're different locations. Like, although that there was a, a sentence say, you know, said where they were all being pushed, Ford was all pushing everyone into one, one direction. The way things had been said before was that, you know, it was the, the insinuation was it was a weapon, but Dolores basically insinuated that it was where all these memories are. You know, where where all this data is essentially. This is what this key is required for. Um, so we need to get a bit more in terms of that. Obviously, Man in Black mortally wounded, Maeve mortally wounded. I've got a feeling that Man in Black will be found by his daughter. Um, who's still out there? I think she'll probably yep. heal him, bring him back, and that'll be your posse moving forward. I've got a feeling that you know Maeve is going to be brought back. Lee's going to help her, um, and Maeve is going to get back to to cleaning up what she's got to do. And then I don't know. I don't quite know where they're going with that story now. Actually, and uh, in, in a good way, I think Dolores is obviously heading off with her posse. And we know that Teddy's going to die somewhere in that journey. Uh, I think Bernard is like debugging, like they say. I think the debug is, I don't know. It's got to be him. Yeah, perching forward from his system. I, you know, in much the way as I earlier this season hypothesized that much of the story is about the redemption of William. You're a motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) That I also hypothesized. That this is about uh, Bernard's uh, redemption in a way. Because Bernard has done some heinous shit. It, it wasn't necessarily his fault, but he's yeah. done it. And and now that uh, he has some awareness of it, then maybe it's like, I've, I've got to stop Ford because in in his act of creation, what he is destroying is is too great. 
Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm very curious. I, I'm kind of like you. I don't know exactly what's going to happen when we get to the Valley Beyond or, or you know, we still have yet to see uh, Stone Cold Teddy get it. And it, I'm very, very curious. I think, I think, and maybe the Lord of Sit Pits and them. At some point, you would think, uh, just like I've created a monster, Doctor Lecter. Yeah, uh, I, you know, created them too far. That no, like maybe Dolores starts to slowly walk that path to redeeming herself as a character, and Teddy doesn't have that option. Perhaps, or maybe none of these are redemption stories, and it's all going to end in a bloodbath. <laughs> and I'm and happy s- with all of that. I'm happy <laughs> with all of that. I think so, I think yeah, that covers our bases. Been, yeah, I think so. I think once again, I, this episode was very much needed. The last two episodes have been very heavy on the action, a little light on actual substance in terms of plot driving the story forward. Um, but this episode, I think paced very well we've got loads of information we've got loads of really cool scenes we've still got tons of action and it's it's setting us up for the the final three episodes which we'll be rocking into over the next couple weeks that's right as we record this we're only you know i'm 24 hours away from uh seeing the next episode so yeah yeah that's right duncan that's the (laughs) kind of life i live uh (laughs) you don't have to treat me any different it's okay (laughs) So, uh, folks, uh, before we get out of here, I always like to ask Duncan, you, you looking forward to watching anything, uh, in the coming, uh, well, not even week in the next few days that you haven't seen yet. Um, not at the moment. The big thing for me next is hereditary, but it's not out on the UK until the 15th. So I'll be going to check that out on the 15th. Very much looking forward to that. I've got high expectations. And then right after that, the following week, it will be um, Sicario 2. Soldato, I think, is the name of that uh, yeah, one. I think that's and right. that movie looks fucking great. I am in... I mean, I loved Sicario, and Sicario is Dennis Villeneuve, and we've spoken about it before, fucking great movie. And they've obviously looked at that, right? This, you know, the once again, the two the two characters that we find really interesting, this one, uh, Josh Brolin's character and um, Benicio Del Toro, let's do something with them and spin it off. And the movie doesn't look at all like that first movie. It looks like they're really going dark and grisly and shining a spotlight on how how morally corrupt uh, maybe special forces and secret institutions within governments can be when unleashed from the reins uh, of accountability. And, yeah, I, I am totally into that movie. I, I loved both Josh Brolin and Benicio Del Toro and, um, you know, and Sicario. And I believe what I'd heard before was this was technically the second and what was planned to be three movies now. So it looks good. It looks really, really, really good. So that's out the following week. Uh, what about yourself? What's on the agenda for Bo? Uh, well, the hereditary. My my recording schedule has been such that I, I haven't been able to see it yet, even though it's out. So I'm probably going to see it the morning before we next record. Nice. And I can't wait. I have I have remained largely spoiler free i i still know very little about it i i had one small detail spoil and i was like eh that sucks but all right um but i know 
Oh, the only thing I know, and it's not even a spoiler, is that the last half an hour is fucking crazy. That is literally all I've been told. Is the last half an hour is fucking crazy. Yeah, I'm, but I'm the very reviews excited. have been across the board great for it. Yeah. Like genuinely, people that I know that have a strong constitution have told me they had been heavily unnerved while watching the movie and it stuck with them afterwards. And I can't wait. I actually can't wait. Uh, Hereditary looks like it's going to pull in um, 12 to 13 million over the weekend. That's not bad. That's yeah. not bad. Uh, and, you know, that that's probably the best opening A24's ever had. Yeah. That company's really doing interesting stuff at the moment. That's one that's just like, you to see the ascension of that company year after year is a pure joy. Oh, yeah. It, it The fact that the same company produced Hereditary and, you know, um, Oh, uh, geez, what was the Giallo ripoff that I can't remember the name of all of a sudden? <laughs> the Giallo ripoff? Yeah, the the uh, the editor. Was oh, the that, editor, yeah. Yeah, sorry. wasn't that an A24 joint? Um, no, I don't think so. Or I'm thinking Astron 6, never mind. You're thinking Astron 6, you motherfucker. I know, I I'm say, sorry. That's a bit lowbrow for A24. Uh, a but no, A24 have like a... <laughs> a bit like just a dad um like tons of stuff that they're they're kind of putting their name to at the moment which is really really interesting and a lot of it i mean is a lot they, they wear their indie influences on their sleeves for sure but hereditary's the i think you're right i think this is going to be the first big one for them um particularly in the horror category and that is surprisingly good for a movie which really from the trailer is is not super clear what the movie's really about um and it has a specific look about it which is not for general horror fans if you know what i mean mm. it, you know it's pitched for it's pitched for like proper horror fans not kind of normies that are stumbling into horror movies so yeah that's that's pretty good um and obviously that's it'll it'll start to because it's not released everywhere uh, this weekend, over the next couple of weeks, we'll get a better indication of how the movie will do. But I suspect it'll be number one in the UK on its opening week. Yeah, I, well, the Ocean's 8 movie opened against it, and I'm sure that sucks some of the wind out. But uh, yeah, anyway, uh, A24 also did Lady Bird uh, and oh, uh, yeah. Florida Lady- Project and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, great, great, great movies. Great movies. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see that. And, and when next we speak, Duncan, probably I will, I will have seen it and you will have not. <laughs> and that's going to make me feel good for a little while. <laughs> yep. And I'll just remind you, I've still not watched the terror. Ah, oh, Duncan. I mean, you're just hurting yourself with that. Well, I, I'm away the next, I, I'm away with work the next two days. So what I might do is I might, um, purchase all on my, uh, iTunes account and then watch that on the journey to where I'm going uh, and in the hotel while I'm staying over so um, that that's yeah. a pretty good ride I mean because because you're talking about at the end of the day about eight hours all yeah told. that's probably good yeah and, it's, prob- it's probably perfect for that then yeah so uh, yeah that's quite good um, more than quite good really anyway uh, <laughs> folks You've heard us talk enough about uh, the terror for one show. Um, 
we appreciate you listening. Please, uh, if you uh, enjoy the show, um, the the best uh, form of advertising is really you telling friends and loved ones and and so forth about the show. But also rating and reviewing don't hurt neither. And uh, Duncan, uh, where can people catch you uh, between now and and when next we talk? Uh, podcast under the stairs episode dropping will be mm, the week that this episode drops um where i do another in reverence which is the movies that inspired me to really dig deep into my love of horror genre and i'm doing a very special one on the beyond uh, filchi's classic second entry in the gates of hell trilogy from 1981 and that you can check that out by going to tputzcast.com check out podcasts under the stairs on soundcloud or going to the facebook group page facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash tputzcast Excellent. Uh, I would encourage folks uh, to also check out legionpodcasts.com uh, where we've got a lot of like fun shit going on and, and, and good things popping off. Uh, shows all over the place. Shows about everything. You can find anything now. Uh, we got the Beanie Baby show. That's going to be big. <laughs> we got the show on genital warts uh, of all shapes and sizes, which is very sex positive. Um <laughs> As well as other stuff uh, about movies and horror and whatnot. Um, and and a, a special shout out to Pick 6 Movies. We are uh, like four episodes deep into a six episode season. So if you want to play catch up before the end of the season, uh, please do. That's available over on uh, legionpodcasts.com. And, uh, and I think that's it. So uh, thanks again for listening. Have a great week. Duncan, say goodnight to everybody. Good night to everybody. Good night. I'll make a shoehorn out of your shin. I'll make a lampshade of durable skin. No, don't you know that I'm always feeling able when I'm sitting home and I'm carving out your neighbor. I'm just a sitting here carving out your neighbor. Copy tab.